Over the last 15 years, I've worked in and with various nonprofits. And while each has had a worthy mission and made tremendous impact, one of the things I've always seen is that they worked in silos and these silos often held them back. But why? I mean, isn't it our mission as nonprofits to work to make a difference? Why do we continue to work alone? How can we put bureaucracy and differences aside to get to the core of the issues and break down barriers that our communities face? How can we advocate for true inclusion and supports that further collaborative efforts? Join me, Monique Curry-Mims, as I sit down with community members, leaders, funders from our community and around the nation to gain insight, best practices, and resources that will help define how to work collectively to not only further your mission, but to implement real and lasting solutions in our communities. Welcome to 360 Philanthropy. Thank you for joining us on another episode of 360 Philanthropy. Today, we're going to do things a little bit differently as it is the end of our quarter and our leaders of change also, it is Women's History Month, so shout out to all the women in the world. We're having a little roundtable discussion, and I'm here with two good friends of mine, Jasmine Sessoms, the CEO and founder of She Can Win. What's up, Jazz? Hey, Monique. Hey. What's going on, everyone? And Aaron Corbett Wright, who is also a board member of She Can Win, and we go back because she is a stepping stone alum from my my previous nonprofit days. I'm going to shout that out there because that's how we met, <laughs> and it's something to be proud of. You're awesome. Oh, thank you. Hey, Monique. Hey, hey world. And you know, it's me, Monique. So we're here today. Like I said, rounding out the end of this quarter, and I want you guys to tell our listeners a little bit about yourselves and your journey to where you are today. I'll let you go first. You, okay, you're going to let me go first. So. Uh-huh. I'm Jasmine. Let's see. My journey is not a straight road in any way, shape, or form. It is squiggly, zigzag, up, down. There's like a bump and maybe even like a break in the road. <laughs> so um, let's see. I'll just start at college. I went to Morgan State University. Okay. Shout out MSU. Go Bears. I am a proud HBCU grad. I love it. And I Why was actually- because It's not. It's so serious. <laughs> it's so serious. I want my daughter go to HBCU. I'm all for Where does she go? No, she's in the eighth grade. I'm Where is she going? Morgan State? Oh, okay. <laughs> there sure, are a couple yeah. members Get of our in. board that would like tussle with you over that designation, but that's neither here nor there. So at the great Morgan State University in Baltimore, Maryland, mm-hmm. I was actually a hospitality management major. Oh. I was. I wanted to bake wedding cakes for a living and work in a hotel and be a GM by the time I was 40. Um, so I got, when I graduated, I got a job mm-hmm. and at the Philadelphia Downtown Marriott. Shout out, Marriott. Um, and I was a catering manager, but they put me on the wedding circuit. And I did, used to do 16 days on, two oh. days off. What? Man, it, what? Oh, yeah, it was wild and, like, crazy brides. And it, it was it was just a horrible work-life balance. But I did it for six years. I was the youngest catering uh, sales manager on the East Coast. And I, I've done over mm-hmm. 112,000 weddings. Well, okay. I would do, like, four in a day. In a day? Four in a day. At four different fun. properties. So, like, when you are at the big Wait, Marriott, you, the courtyard one, mm-hmm. um, this one, the Philadelphia downtown, and at the airport. So, I was responsible for all of those. It's Get crazy. it, girl. That, it that was crazy. crazy. But, you know, one thing led to another, and you're just like, I don't want to do this anymore. So, I transitioned, and I worked for a uh, 
foundation, a really large foundation. It's called Ace Insurance. And I gave out lots and lots and lots and lots of money. So, like, that was my philanthropic background. I used to run a foundation, a corporate foundation, which there was no black people at that point. I think, shout out to Tiff Tavares, who is Hispanic, and AJ mm-hmm. Jordan. Like, they started with me in, like, the corporate philanthropy sector. We all just used to, like, see each other. It's like, yeah, I see you, <laughs> fellow black person. And... um. <laughs> I'm trying to think, how did I even, oh, okay, yeah, I stumbled into politics. So my my one of my bestest, bestest friends in the world, Jordan Harris, was running for office back in 2012. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, he comes to me and he's like, I'm getting ready to run for office. What's up? I'm like, yeah, what's up? Why would you do that? You got a good job over at the Youth Commission. And we're going back and forth. He's like, no, you're going to come with me and help me on my campaign. I was like, I know nothing of politics. Why would I ever do that? I have this good job. But, you know, Jordan goes over the hill, I'm going over with him. That's just how we, that's how we've always been. He's over the hill, I'm over the hill. So I go and I take a, a mini sabbatical from my job and I work on his campaign and I, we know it's like four of us. We get, we're not even making money. But we, you know, I fell in love. I was fundraising, I was doing the event planning. Sometimes I was his driver. I was the field person. Yeah, I'm serious. Like we literally, it was like the shoestring campaign and um, I fell in love with it. And from there I just started doing fundraising for candidates and you know what I noticed like three years in, I didn't fundraise for women. I didn't see enough women around me. I didn't like that mm-hmm. and I wanted to know why. So I started asking questions and people were like, nobody wants to do this, no woman wants to do this. It's horrible, it's an old boys club, you can't raise money easy, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm like, well, I'm sure I could help you guys out. So um, fast forward, 2014 comes and a couple of my girls wanted to run and they were like, well, I was like, look, what I'll do is I'll host something for you guys and come over to my house in the basement and just tell me, like, what is it about the run? If I can help you, I'll help you. And if I can, I'll find somebody that can help you. So we just started talking, like, okay, how do you raise money? So I figured out how to raise money for a campaign. Tell me how many petitions I'm going to need on this. Uh, on this, uh, Tell me how many signatures I need on my petition. So I went and got a field guy that I knew from way back when we went to high school together. He was good at field. So he came and talked to the ladies. Mm. Next thing I know, like, two of the, four of them ran, two of them won. Mm. Wrong, wrong way. Sorry, twelve of them, twelve of them ran, four of them won. See, when you win that much, like, <laughs> right? You can't like keep it when, exactly when I your like win record win. is as high as Jasmine's win <laughs> record, literally. it actually all becomes a blur. That's I literally feel like I've told this story like six times just in one month. But long story short, the next cycle, people were coming to me like, "Hey, I heard you have this training class, <laughs> like." Can I get in the training class? Like, oh no, no, it's not a training class. It was just like people in my basement. My yeah, like <laughs> I just want to help people. And um, but they were like, no, no, no. We heard it's this training class, so we go over. I rent a space in the African American History Museum. I'll never forget this. And Mayor Street came w- with me, and um, we hosted a training, and it was like fifty some women. So Mayor wow. Street was like, well, I thought you said it wasn't anything. I was like, no, Mayor, I promise it isn't. Like the word just got out. I think we were charging like ten dollars just to pay for the space, and it just snowballed from there. And um. You know, since then, I have the I have the new stat. My sister-in-law just gave me my stat, 609. So we've trained 609 women since wow. then. And we had our last boot camp in uh, January 25th, and that was the 609th woman that we've trained. Congrats. We have a 42% win rate. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, it's dope. It's fun. We love it. I got great ladies around me. I'm lucky, man. I'm, not, I'm blessed. Not even luck. It's just, just blessings. Right. Yeah. Got to keep it circle. Ooh. Ooh, how are you going to follow that? So I don't actually follow <laughs> it because I'm a part of You're the one of those ladies, one of those ladies, I'm actually, right? well, even outside of the She Can Win context, there's a lot that I would not do today if it weren't for Jasmine. So um, the very interesting thing is Philadelphia born and bred. I went to school out on the main line. So shout out to Agnes Irwin. 
Um, went to Temple. Mm-hmm. Um, was a political science major. Uh, I took a class or a special topics in urban politics that forever changed my life. So, Mayor John Street teaches this course, and it is arguably the best crash course and the most substantive offering that the political science department has at Temple University, in my opinion. Um, getting to understand grassroots organizing, grassroots political participation, mm-hmm. how that evolves into you know, a city council bid, running city council, and ultimately help someone get elected to be mayor of this city was, you know, you can read about it in a textbook, you can understand the con- the articles of the Constitution inside and out, but that lived experience right. is invaluable. During that time, so like, shout out to Mayor John Street. Apparently, because he is two of you. Yes. Okay. So even outside of him teaching that course at Temple, he took a special interest in exposing women of color who were his students to electeds in this city to encourage them to run for office. So hmm. he's carried and championed the mantle that we stand on for quite some time now. And so it was in his class that he made me aware of this internship that uh, now Council President Daryl Clark has. So in the winter of 2012, uh, Council President Clark became Council President Clark, had an opening, and I was reporting to his very wonderful special assistant, who is now State Representative Donna Johnson Bullock. Okay. And... I got to work with her, see firsthand what it meant to translate community need into policy and how to push back against um, what I could say is intrusive community change. So community change that doesn't prioritize those who are already there. Um, And by way of that internship, I found out that there was this freshman legislator in South Philly who was in desperate need of an executive assistant. Enter Jordan Harris. You see how this <laughs> oh, is all interwoven? I see. I see. Okay. So, freshman representative Jordan Harris. This was not planned. This, no, no. no. I did not know this backstory. This is this is why I say there's a very tangled web we weave. Um, so, Jordan Harris needed an executive assistant. I came in with a certain level of credentials, and I was a political science student. So, you could tell me to research some policy in addition to asking me to schedule your meetings, which is great. And I'm a college student, so you had to pay me that much. Right. Um, which is like the perfect storm perfect. when you're a freshman legislator. Um, so got to work with Representative Harris, eventually became in L.A., researched some great policy as it relates to fair funding formulas, ultimately began to research the possibilities that contributed to House Bill 1419. Um, and House Bill 1419 is his signature piece of legislation that grants automatic expungement of misdemeanor offenses after mm-hmm. seven years. Um And in that time, I got to see, okay, how our community needs balanced at the state level when it comes to legislation. And then I decided, like, okay, so these legislators pass policy, and ultimately who distills that policy back into community are nonprofit organizations. And so in 2015, I decided that I wanted to step out of Representative Harris's office, so we had gotten through his first term together, and I swore I was doing something. Like, I swore <laughs> I was sneaking away, that nobody was going to know, I was just going to dip off, and I was going to take this leap of faith. Got into the mayor's internship program, and who is my boss but Jasmine Sessoms, oh. deputy director of the Mayor's Fund for Philadelphia. 
So I thought I was thought I was escaping Jordan. And he's like, no, I know exactly where you're going. I've known exactly where you were going this entire time. I was waiting for you to have a conversation with me. So I had the pleasure of serving with Jasmine in the mayor's fund. I got to see firsthand how public-private partnerships are codified and what does it mean to translate departmental needs into something that is attractive for private and corporate funders and then ultimately how those proposals from those city departments even get vetted amongst the board at the mayor's fund which was really eye-opening um decided to throw my hat in the ring of fundraising in in the nonprofit space so I was the only development person first job out Mm -hmm. Only development person, $3 million organization. I got a $650,000 annual fund to manage. First job. Wow. Yeah. I I jumped in. Yeah. I jumped Jumped in. in. Um, But in that time, I began to see that you can't divorce the public sector from each other. So just as much as you need philanthropy to give you the money to to make things happen. Unfortunately, the way our government is now, we don't have much safety net funding, so it ultimately becomes the responsibility of philanthropy to care for our community's most vulnerable. Um, You can't divorce that from policy, because good policy influences philanthropy. You can't divorce that from your direct service providers, which are your nonprofit organizations. So really and truly, my career is like the culmination of that intersection. Um, When it comes down to my participation in She Can Win, Jasmine calls all of us together one December evening and says, hey, guys, I've been doing this thing by myself, but I can't do this thing by myself anymore. Each of you contributes something unique to the table. Um, I was working at Pew Charitable Trust at the time and straddling the fence between philanthropy and policy and stakeholder engagement um, and ultimately decided to take up the mantle to be the governance person for She Can Win. So drafting bylaws, conflict of interest agreements, confidentiality agreements, um, in that also absorbing management of the policy committee. So I devised our policy agenda and our interview questionnaire and making sure that we actually have a policy platform every cycle. So it's a labor of love Mm -hmm. because I am in corporate philanthropy now, but it's something that is very enriching because if we weren't involved in this work, particularly in this city, I do think that there's a vacuum in terms of how young black women are energized and brought to the table in policy conversations. Um, I'm pleased to say that we have become a mandatory stop if you are seeking elected office in this region. So, and, and a woman of color. So I'm, I'm proud to be a part of this work and serving with Jasmine. Great. How did that awesome. happen? Awesome. <laughs> How did that happen? And just for a little backstory or back information, She Can Win provides support, mentorship, and education to women who have the passion for civic leadership. So, you know, you guys have this amazing organization and you are inspiring and influencing and training women. And you mentioned Mayor Street, but what other like leaders inspired this journey? And particularly, were there, you know, were there any women leaders? Mm-hmm. So I can answer that definitively. Other than Jasmine. Okay, so, <laughs> so my answer here is not Jasmine. So Jasmine, oh, okay. so, so for the listeners, 
What is funny about that is that when I'm asked in articles, who do I look to, who do I serve beside, who inspires me, Jasmine's on my short list because a lot of the pivots that I've had to date have been greatly influenced by Jasmine, whether she feels like she's had a very obvious hand in that or not. Um, But if I had to charge my interest in, you know, civic engagement... I would say I have to, I would be remiss if I didn't thank Representative Johnson Bullock for mm. her service for pouring into me when I was bright-eyed and bushy-tailed as a college <laughs> sophomore because it is because it is entirely because of that initial internship that I was fortunate enough to start my career by the time I was 21. Yeah. Um, there are not many people who get to say they were in LA at the age of 21 and have gone on and done X, right. Y, and Z. So I charge it directly to that experience. Um, additionally, mm-hmm. I would be remiss if I didn't mention the incomparable former councilwoman, Blondell Reynolds-Brown. Oh, she yeah. is a direct proponent and supporter of mine. Arguably, she writes, she wrote the greatest um, recommendation letter for me to get into fells. I, she's the first campaign that I volunteered on, so on and so forth. So I would say I, I stand on her shoulders. And then... We can't forget our endorsed slate. So shout out to council member Sherelle Parker. Shout out to council member Kathy Gilmore Richardson, the youngest. Yes. The youngest elected official for city council history. Yes. Mm -hmm. The youngest. Um, Shout out to council member Cindy Bass. Who else we have? Shout out to Monica Taylor in Delaware County. Yeah, we have a far-ranging slate. Um, So those are the women that we certainly look to and feel proud to call She Can Win alum. And I would be remiss if I didn't mention State Representative Morgan Cephas, who was the inaugural endorsement that She Can Win had. So, yeah. That is true. That's awesome. What what about you? You know, honestly, I want to thank me. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Yes, Snoop. I want to thank me for my hard work and my dedication. (laughs) No, to be honest, like for me, when I started She Can Win, no one really thought I should do it. Mm-hmm. Um, there was no, hey, that's such a good idea. It was more or less like, you should go join Represent PAC's board or, you know, they have an emerge coming to Pennsylvania. Like your your service would be better served there. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say the one person outside of Mayor Street that was like wearing the She Can Win t-shirt from day one was Councilwoman Maria, Maria Keona Sanchez. I got to tell you. From day one, she sat there in a meeting. Mayor Street bought uh, Councilwoman Blondell's Reynolds Brown. He, he uh, Jordan was there with me as just like a support person. And uh, Maria came and she listened and she heard. And um, everybody in the room was 12 people Mayor Street bought. And they gave me all the other suggestions other than like, that's not really needed. And I remember during the meeting, like towards the end, it was like five minutes left maybe. The councilwoman was like, all of you are crazy. <laughs> This girl right here has something. Like, she literally stood up and was like, I don't know what it is. I I didn't know her. She was like, she has something. I didn't even know I had something. But she saw something in me because I was so passionate about it. So, like, I got to tell you, I've been rocking with the council lady forever. I have been her finance director, her right-hand person. So, like, she saw something in me Mm -hmm. because I don't know if she she couldn't come to that meeting one day. Where would I be? For somebody to say, like, that girl has something. But then, like, the women on my board, I look to them as leaders, like um, Dominique Gauze, Aaron Corbett-Wright, 
Nadia Ralston, Jalila Parker, Salima Pace, and Dominique Miller. Yeah, because it's six of us now. And shout out to Don Miller, the youngest chief of staff in city council right now. Absolutely. Single-handedly helped to get council member Isaiah Thomas elected to an at-large seat, and she's phenomenal. I mean, I mean as, as a fellow under 30-year-old, I got to, like, <laughs> cape for her real fast because she is <laughs> dynamic. I have so many women that are, like, first, like, Nadia Ralston, she is the Southeast Regional Director. Mm -hmm. She's the youngest and the first black woman to ever hold that position for Governor Wolf. Like, those those are the people that I surround myself with, so those are the leaders that inspire me every time. And you know what's the best part? We clap for each other. We we lift as we climb. Like it's never. Well, why did she get that award and not me? Or, right. Or or, or well, why is she on the radio and not me? Or how did Jazz and Aaron get on this one and not me? It's never that. It's always a retweet, a clap, a group text, a just keep going, sis. We see you. Oh, a shout out, Pace. Salima Pace, shout out youngest to treasurer there you go. of eleven ninety nine C here in the city of Philadelphia. So. Yeah, I was gonna say we we brush our shoulders off well as she can. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. So like those are the leaders that I, that inspire me, and like every every Saturday meeting that we show up and show out, and we can push the mission forward, and we make it look fun, right? Oh yeah, we have a good time. Have yeah. you seen our videos? <laughs> I have seen your videos. It's a good time. But the was a living single. Mm-hmm. Yeah, single sure video is. was good. I was at your um event at PA Society this year. I show up for y'all. That's I, right, Monique. Monique, Monique does think. show up. I show show up. up, especially when uh, Dreams and Nightmares came on. We we tore it up. There you Indeed, go. we, we did. Tore, we there you go. Up. See, we work hard, but we play <laughs> hard too. That's called balance, ladies. Yes. So I want to get back to the balance because let's actually go to the balance because we're all moms yeah. and, and, and spouses and like how how do we balance? I mean, I know even like yesterday I was like, look, I spent the weekend being soccer mom and driving kids around. Mm-hmm. I did laundry. I cooked dinner today. Mm-hmm. I'm taking my bath and I'm going to bed. No one talk right. to me. I'm not momming tonight. I'm Excellent. not wifing tonight. I'm done. So like, None of that. Wife's hands walks away. So like, how how do you guys find your balance? Like how like how do you do all of these amazing things? Because we're not going to put it all out there, but like she can win is not their nine to five. That's just you know their their biggest passion. So how do you manage it all? Like how? Village game is strong mm. over on this side. I mean, the one thing that I love about this thing of ours is that the babies are built in right at any given she can win meeting candidate interview event <laughs> somebody's babies is in the midst okay. you know they, they all got, play start together them start them young. exactly they all play together because one of the things that can be damning about women's participation in politics be it you know the campaign and race side or elected office is that it's not particularly kind to women who are moms but then there's this weird thing where people question like your level of compassion if you aren't a mom so it's this damned if you do damned if you don't scenario um but i think that we foster village mentality we never you know discount or make anyone feel other than and then even just in our own lives i mean if Yasin, so Yasin is my three-year-old. If Yasin's dad wasn't who he is i would not be who i am and i say that Mm -hmm. all the time um you know, having great parents and extended family and even leaning on each other. I mean, it, the village is strong. Yeah, absolutely. I could not do any of this without my husband or my mom. But on any given day, Jay and Jay's rock with mom. So, like, 
any Wednesday, the daycare is closed. Jay, Jay's will be with me all day long. So like, and Aaron's absolutely right. We have fostered, most of us on our board are moms. We have fostered an environment where it's comfortable to bring your kids. And we almost side eye you were like, you ain't bring your scene through. <laughs> Jay and Jace was ready to play with them. Like that is that is the environment that we foster. And you know, um, I always, even when I was working on campaigns, I always said like, look, if you wanna hire me, you hire Jay and Jace. If you want me to come, sometimes I gotta bring the kids and it's non-negotiable. I'm gonna pick my kid up, I'm going on field trips. Like all of those things are just non-negotiable. And then like when you're unapologetically that good, people will make that exception. Right. So you just gotta be really, really good at what you do, and then your, your, your brat kids can come with you. <laughs> Absolutely. You know? <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, there's no way, there's no way to be like a high-functioning individual without like your child witnessing you that go. or just being right. in that mix. I, I truly believe that hopefully it imparts a level of wisdom and independence onto the, the little ones, but you know, there's no way to escape it in this day right. and age. And I think that there's so much around us that's designed to facilitate who we are as whole people, not just this title as board member, or this title at work, that you really do have to bring your full self to this work. Right. Yeah. I know my daughter gets mad at me when I don't bring her to meetings anymore. I'm like, some meetings you can't. You just can't roll. She, she's 13 now, so I'm like, she's not the little cute kid sitting in the corner. So I'm like, no, you can't. Watch your brother for me, though. Thanks. <laughs> See, I can't wait. I cannot that. wait. The babysitting, the I'm going to be back, there's food in the fridge age. I cannot yeah, wait. I'm definitely a dream. excited about that, about that age. That is a dream. It, it it is like, and they I mean they they have this little weird like love hate relationship where they don't really like bicker but she picks they pick on each other like they call each other names and like hitting each other but then I'm like oh my gosh you guys and an hour later I walk out the room walk back in and she's like come sit on my lap let oh. me read to you so it's like the weirdest you know she's thirteen he's five siblings that's siblings yeah yeah, yeah siblings yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think that that's awesome but I think that. You know, women, you know, whether, you know, women who have children or women who don't have children, single, married, whatever, they have always been either the leading force or the backbone of, of change in our society. You know, whether they were, you know, marching with Martin or cooking his meals and making sure that, you know, he was good. Um, we've always been the backbone. And I'm just wondering, you know, like, why do you think that is and how can we make sure that in today's society with all the things, you know, me too's and pay wage gaps and all those things like how can we make sure that we are able to bring our full selves and still be that champion of change where it needs to be most i think it's about making people uncomfortable mm. so just because that's what your boundary is doesn't mean that that's what mine is it also you know there's a certain precedence and and this is speaking for myself there's a certain precedence that i give to the fullness of my identity, right? Like, I'm not just a woman. I'm not just black. I'm not just Muslim. I'm not these. It is all of these things. Right. It is this unique calibration of things that makes you really want Aaron Corbett right in a room. Encompassed in that is the acknowledgement that, like, it requires a certain level of multitasking. And I think that's intrinsic to how women have contributed to social movements over time. We're expected to be on par with male counterparts, as well as managing home life, mm -hmm. as well as still finding time to look presentable because, you know, let's be clear, like presentation politics is very much a thing. But we can't break a sweat. 
Jasmine and I and you cannot go to any meeting and be like, guys, I'm exhausted because my kid had 102 fever last night, so I actually didn't read that material, <laughs> right. and I'm going to need you to catch me up right now, right? Like, we know that all cylinders, we're firing from all cylinders at all times. Um, and I think the way to challenge that or to create space for that is to just be clear about, like, what it is that folks are asking that we bring to the table. So... Yes, you can put a certain expectation out there, but let me tell you the magic behind that final product. And the more that we're honest and transparent about what it takes to get there, the more there's a shared understanding that I might make it look easy, but that does not mean that it was right. simple for me to accomplish. That's bars. I mean, <laughs> there's there's literally nothing. You know, I got Aaron, you, you pretty much put it the best way, but... I am the same way wherever I am, whether I am in a meeting, whether I'm here with my friends, you might get a little more polished, Jasmine, but like I show up unapologetically one black, unapologetically a mom and a wife, unapologetically a woman and like unapologetically, I know what I'm talking about. So you're gonna listen, I won't be before you long, I never talk long on any subject, but I also think that that tight rope that Aaron is referring to it, it is it is suffocating, it is deafening, and you need to surround yourself with people that you can talk to because it is lonely. It can get, success breeds loneliness. Mm, yeah. And if you don't have, and I can't stress this enough for anybody that listens, male, female, black, white, red, yellow, if you don't have a circle around you that will cheer for you but also will not tear you down, people that you can truly confide in and be yourself with, that mask is heavy. Mm-hmm. You cannot always be the jazz fingers right, and on. Right. I'm lucky where I have that in several friends and several group members and several a group text has saved my life more than once. <laughs> so I, I just implore everyone because there is such a tightrope and there is such a balance in what we do that um, surround yourself with those that wanna see you win, those that'll clap for you, but also those that you can be vulnerable with because it is lonely Success is lonely, it is um, hard, it is deafening, and the pressure sometimes becomes a lot. I don't feel that pressure because I unload the pressure on Aaron <laughs> and Nadia and Jalila and Dom and Salima. Right. I do, I, I, so you know, I don't, I don't feel that pressure, but I do know a lot of people as you climb higher and higher that do feel that pressure. Absolutely, and I think that that can sometimes be like the crisis of success, it's particularly if you're striking out on your own. So like Monique, you had a nine to five and you decided that what was best for you and your trajectory was to strike on on your own and begin consulting. That's a road that not many people can orient themselves to, right? I like, would not have been able to do it though without my husband. Like honestly, mm-hmm. like he was a, so my husband did uh, real estate. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, those checks aren't like steady checks, you know? So he was like, look, you're going to do this because your time is now to do this. Like, do it i'll go back to work and i'll get the, i'll be the steady nine to five while you build this and if he didn't give me that level of security because i'm always like look our family needs to be secure and without that i definitely would have not have taken that step he's like no i'll be the security you go out and build i was like oh, okay you put your notice in yet oh not yet what are, what are you waiting for like he badgered me every day until i put my notice in like he was not playing. And it's important to have people in your life that are investing in you in that way, right? Like right. it's one thing to self-start and motivate, but 
I don't think any of us can sit here and say that we've ever taken a step back from what it is that we're trying to accomplish or what it is we've accomplished to date and not said like is this the right thing am, mm. am I going down the right road am I crazy can I be validated both internally and externally by where it is I'm trying to go you know when I get to goal then what like everybody has to have those those back and forth with one another it's just a matter of whether or not you have what you need to like power through that in the moment so like you said like being able to confide in people being able to have folks who are vested i always say i'm at the juncture now where like all of my friends have to have something to lose i'm not saying at what level that something has to be (laughs) but we can't all be out here reckless right like (laughs) everybody has to have something where they have a certain level of care and concern about maintaining that. Right. That can take many forms, but it ultimately helps. It, it gets us past like that base level understanding a lot quicker. I can delve into my issue a lot faster if that understanding exists. And it's, it's necessary. I would go crazy if I didn't have my friends and my support networks and my family to be able to like validate what my perception of the world is. Right. So perception of the world, but what about Philadelphia? So you guys mm-hmm. have your own, you know, thoughts and and strides that you're making, um, whether it's within, you know, politics or education or corporate philanthropy. You know, what what are the areas of your concern in the city? And what do you think, I'm just shifting a little bit here, but what do you think it's going to take to really impact and, and make that change in those areas? I mean, I got to tell you, at the top of my list, and I know it might sound cliche, but this is a health crisis at this point, is the gun violence in this city. It's crazy right now, I mean, I I watch the news every night before bed, me and uh, my husband, Jay, we watch the news every night, and we wake up every morning, and I I mean, it is an epidemic at this point, and um, I'm not really trying to hear about clean streets or or anything. I'm not trying to hear about the environment. I don't want to hear about... Every person in Philadelphia, white, black, red, yellow, blue, or brown, should be talking about the number of lives that are being lost by gun violence. It's funny. I met with a ruin the other day over in uh, D.A. Krasner's office, and the things that he was telling me about um, 3D printing guns now and piecing together the parts and, and how hard it is to actually catch someone that is committing a crime and how underpaid their staff is. And I mean, it is a scary place to raise a kid in Philadelphia, and it should never be that way. Philadelphia is the birthplace of America. And yet we are under attack from gun violence. I mean, I got to tell you, my next door neighbor lost her uh, her 16-year-old girlfriend coming off of a bus. Do you know how many times at 16 I took a bus to the gallery? Right. To, and it is unfathomable to me that this child, this straight-A student that wasn't involved in anything who I see my next-door neighbor every day as she goes to school and she takes the bus, that her parents sent her off. She went to the gallery to go pick up a shirt for a dance over the weekend and she never came back home. It's unfathomable to me and that's the only thing that any elected official should be talking about right now because people are fearing for their lives. The gun violence in Philadelphia is unacceptable. It is the one thing that I need Mayor Kenny, Commissioner Outlaw, Jordan, Donna, 
Morgan, Joanna, Jason, Malcolm. I need all of y'all to be focusing on the gun violence in this city because it is just unacceptable in every way. I literally just pulled up Facebook and just saw a rest in peace for a four-year-old that got shot yesterday. I mean, it is just and a pregnant mom. And a pregnant, yeah. It is unimaginable to me. I got to tell you, it is just unacceptable. I don't know how how it is not all that we talk about and how are we solving it and what are we going to do to eradicate gun violence. I just don't know. One of the things that I'll say, and this is a continuation of Jasmine's point because I don't know how else to succinctly capture the pervasiveness of this issue is if it were more of an issue in, in mm. graduate hospital right if it were more of an issue in fishtown if it were more of an issue in what is it now brewery town what, brewery what, yes, what are we calling it town. brewery town chestnut hill town. exactly <laughs> I guarantee you legislation would be flying out the door. Now, the issue is, is that we're getting to a point where it's, there there are no no codes, right? Like back go. in the day, there was a was certain so shared happy. understanding so of I particular codes. I had this conversation codes. yesterday with my sister. Somebody got shot, on, a woman got shot, and it was like on a Sunday. And I was like, what happened to the codes? They were like, what codes? I was like, women and children were off the table. And sometimes in some areas, Sundays was Sundays. like, so, like you, you go to church with your grandmama, like it was Sunday. She was like, what are you talking about? My sister is literally six years younger than me. And she had no idea what I was talking. I'm like, because are- this is how reckless it is. This is it's how reckless. So crazy. There is no code. Sunday was the day of rest. I remember yeah, it. Sunday was the day of rest for gangbanging. Oh no, the code. The code is now if your home costs more than five hundred thousand dollars. If if you've recently rehabbed your home, if you're from out of state or you have a particular zip code, if you came here from New York or D.C. because it's cheaper but still commutable, that's the code now, right? Mm-hmm. And it's abysmal. That in this city, there is such a far-reaching level of influence that people of color, particularly black people, let me just call a thing a thing, there is a, the influ- the level of influence that black people have in this city is unlike any other that I've seen in the United States, mm-hmm. barring Atlanta. Mm. Why is it that we don't give the same credence to it. It's not just talking points. It doesn't just sound good. It's not the teddy bear vigil. What are you doing? How does the rubber meet the road? What are we? What is the first 90 days going to look like, Commissioner Outlaw, right. when it comes down to these conversations? Because life has value, mm-hmm. and we can't sit here and ignore it and think that it's going to go away. It will only get worse. And the the shameful thing that I would hate to see is that Philadelphia does not decide to attack its gun violence issues until it's a young white person getting murdered in Rittenhouse. If that's the catalyst for change, then what I thought Philadelphia was will be for naught. Absolutely. And I say that as a relatively young person. I don't don't have a a lot of years behind me. I got a lot in front of me. Right. So... And I guess the easier answer is like gentrification or something, but but I'm sorry. But, but that's not the easier answer, ahead. right? Because my grandma deserves to live at 42nd and Westminster as she has since 1959, just like anybody else There does. you go. You know, my grandmother shouldn't have to go to Penn or go to Drexel just to receive the same benefits and services that, you know, someone, a transplant to Philadelphia receives. Her dollars go just as far. Her money is just as green. So I actually have no tolerance for that. 
And I would challenge anybody who is civically engaged and who cares about the future of Philadelphia to make that their their battling their rattling cry as well. I feel like with that, <clears throat> you know, people's people's intent are are different. Mm-hmm. I was having a, a conversation with a, a gentleman who runs an organization, um, and I was like, you know, rallying behind what he was saying and you know the civic engagement they were getting ready to do. And then he said to me, I believe in gentrification. And I don't remember why he said it. And I, I kind of looked at him. He was like, yeah. Just so y'all are aware, Jasmine's head <laughs> and my head both went to the side. And our eyes got, you know, that emoji where the eyes are like you, you, Like really you side-eyed wide. me like I side-eyed him. And he really said it. Yeah. And I was like, okay. In my mind, I'm like, this conversation is over. Because yeah. like, like, this is not a real conversation anymore. If you're talking about you're leading a local institution that's working on fixing you know, civic engagement and civic issues in the city, and, and, and you believe in justification because you don't understand the actual impact that, that it has. Absolutely. Um, and it's, and it's, it's, just, it's just bothering. So it makes me really think about the intent of our leaders. And you know that should be their rallying cry, but you know if their intent is if their intent is God, you know, I hope not. But like, the violence gets so bad yeah. that they just move out, and then it's easier to gentrify. And I never really understood gentrification until I had a, a conversation with a um, a young well not a young woman but a woman um, at the Centennial Parkside CDC held an event, and she was from North Philly. And she was saying that, you know, people were offering me all this money for my house and I work for the city, I'm on a fixed income. And I'm like, no, I don't want to move. This is my house. I raised my kids here. Like I'm, I've lived here my whole entire life. Like I'm not, I'm not moving. Um, and she didn't. And she went to her councilman and told him what was going on. And the, the, the actual taxes and the values went up so high that it exceeded what she was able to pay on this fixed mm-hmm. income. And she was forced out of the home that she lived in for 30 years mm. to move to the bottom. Mm-hmm. You know, and she's like, this is not my neighbor. And she's moving there at like 60, 70 years yeah, old. that's because right. Like that, and I was just like, oh. And even the bottom won't be the bottom. No. Sure won't. You know what, what's funny is, if you looked at the, um, what was the, the Opportunity Zone? Mm-hmm. They did not get any zoning funding for that. If you look at the map, it, it, it's a donut hole. Mm-hmm. And they are in the hole. Absolutely. It's so, it's so, and I'm like, why, why, meanwhile, why would you do everything Meanwhile, else student, but ha- right student housing, which has traditionally been confined to Market Street and South, has now pushed bordering Lancaster Avenue. And as somebody who grew up in, so to put this in non Philadelphian terms, the Mantua <laughs> section, the Powelton oh, right, section right, right. of Philadelphia. <laughs> Um, also known as the Black Bottom because it is where we were relegated to live, particularly if you worked at 30th Street Station and you worked on railroad and the Pennsylvania mm-hmm. railroads, um, like my wonderful grandparents. Um, you couldn't walk. There was a time where I wasn't allowed to go to the corner store without my grandmother standing in the middle of the sidewalk from the time I walked into mm-hmm. the store to the time I got back to her. Now, you know, there the neighborhood is starting to look a little different a little bit and no one cared about 42nd and westminster before but now suddenly it's oh well these three-story homes and oh my gosh and they're so far back and there's so much you can do yes no 
no, no, no. Community interest. I'm all for people realizing that there is value in existing properties in Philadelphia. I personally feel like the best thing that we can do is rehabilitate existing structures right. and rather than raising them and then creating and st- structures that push people out. That's right. Um, but if there isn't the same care and concern for keeping people where they are just as much as there is to bringing people in, Philadelphia as we know it will cease to exist. Oh, definitely. The, the character and identity of Philadelphia, you'll be able to overlay Philadelphia at this trajectory with the Gold Coast in Chicago. Let's think about what the Gold Coast used to be, Cabrini Green Projects. Then you'll be able to overlay that with what we're seeing in downtown Detroit now. So shout out to that civic leader who you spoke with because that is a particular interest of theirs as well. You'll be able to overlay that with what Brooklyn looks like. And those of all lost core components of their historical character because there was not care and concern about maintaining and elevating those who have been there, who put in the work, who don't actually have other places to go with bringing in that new interest. Can I just make a point? Can we just talk about the development going on in Mount Airy? How they're knocking down the old houses and I'm seeing houses that look like Fishtown. Fun, Fun fact. I called this three years ago. I said, all of our neighbors that we grew up with, so 71st and Ogon, West Oak Lane, Mount Airy girls sitting on this side of the table. I'm sorry. When, now, I, when I first got my first house that I lived in, it was at uh, Ogon's and Roslyn. Well, there you go. I'm and from South Philly and moved <laughs> uptown to get away from that. And what happened was, so we survived the recession. Absolutely. Which was a very narrow survival. For I bought my house in the recession. The Mm-hmm. And think about how many people lost their houses yeah. oh, in no. that recession. Oh, no. Now we see parents are passing on. Mm-hmm. Kids don't want to live in Mount Airy. That's right. But what I said was the character of Mount Airy, that that, that mighty ward, yep. is going to lose its stronghold if people discover just how close Mount Airy is to Chestnut Hill. I mean. that is That is my honest hypothesis. And it is proving itself to be true. I live right off of Mount Pleasant, and there is literally a house. There, there's three houses. They bought, they knocked them down, and they bought the lot. And it's these three the South Philly specials. Yeah, the South Philly specials. They're so tall. They're like three to four stories tall, and they have the big glass pane windows. They look like they should be in Fishtown, and the rest of us have like stone houses and like driveways and things like that. It doesn't even look right, right. but I'm nervous. Like, is the developer gonna come and offer me my house? They are. It's fine. You can have it. <laughs> I will move. They I will move out of Philadelphia. My mother I, has gotten offers for her house. Absolutely, it's very nerve wracking because Mount Airy was a middle neighborhood. But did you see that Absolutely. a lot of those houses are not being built properly, so they're falling apart? Oh, oh my goodness! I mean, if you can get a <laughs> if you can get an, high, an entire apart. house uh, that's a, a new development within six months, don't do you really me. think that's they're built to last? Being, yeah, they're not being built properly, like brand new houses. There's uh, don't tell me. So I, I don't want to get too deep into this, but. It's thick construction, first of all. Right. It can't go up that quick. That's Nothing right. of quality is going is going up that quick like that. Mm. Um, so I wanna I wanna take you know too much more of your time, okay. but just to kind of you know wrap it up here, okay. as as mothers and as women, mm-hmm. other than the gun violence and the gentrification, what do you want to leave behind for your kids? Like, what do you want Philadelphia to look like when it's your turn or for it's time for time for your children to step into the shoes that you're currently in i can say that if we were able to maintain and further 
the leadership class in Philadelphia, particularly as it pertains to black people being in leadership positions. If, if this, where it is now, which is a very nice, awe-inspiring space, if that was able to further itself and, and my son could see himself, could see his mother, his sisters, his brothers, and the leaders around him to the extent that I have been able to see and navigate throughout the duration of my career, I would feel like it was worthwhile. But the caveat to that is from a qualitative perspective, there is much work to be done in making Philadelphia the place to live, work, and play that I know it has the potential to be. I think we've tried really hard, but there's still more effort to be put forth. I don't want Jay or Jace to be the first anything anymore. I don't want them to be the first black woman to do anything. Mm -hmm. I want the barriers and the ceilings to be broken for my kids. I mean, you know, the world is in front of them. And I, I mean, I just, I think the world of my kids, they, 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 they make me laugh, they're, they're incredible, but I don't want them to be the first anything anymore. I want it to be normal. I want them to grow up in a space where they see a, a black woman mayor, a black woman governor, a black woman lieutenant governor. I want that to be so normal for them that they are like, oh, what, really? Black women aren't always in leadership? <laughs> right. That's shocking for me. You know, at three and five, they're just starting to understand kind of what I do for a living because they see the videos and they always like, mom, there goes your video. But I, they, I want them to grow up in a space where they are no more first, that we have broken every ceiling and every barrier and that they can dream with no limits. That's kind of beautiful. <laughs> no, I mean, seriously, seriously. I don't think about that. Yeah. We got to ask you there the you same go. question. This is, <laughs> you told me it's a adamantly that this is a conversation, <laughs> not an interview. Right. Um, I mean, I think that, you know, one of the things that I hope for them is that, you know, they can live in a world where the color of their skin does not have any effect on, of, on them and doesn't define them and their interactions aren't based on that. And I know that is probably a, a bigger undertaking than, than anything, especially given our current climate. Um, but I think that, you know, we have so much to offer. And being in Philadelphia, you know, my husband's always talking about leaving. I'm like, we are the biggest urban mm -hmm. black population in the country. Mm -hmm. Like if anything is gonna get done, it's going to get done here. And when I see so many things that make us step back, like the gun violence and gentrification and, you know, corruptions and this and that, and I'm just kind of like shaking my head first, but then like, okay, what, what is the next step? Let's, uh, how do we come out of this and how do we make sure that, you know, Philadelphia is, is that city of brotherly love? Um, and sisterly effect. Oh, wait, but it's sisterly love it, now, right? It is. Shout out to uh, Councilwoman uh, uh, Catherine Gilmore Richardson for nicknaming Philadelphia for the month of tw for the year of 2020, Sisterly Love, the city of Sisterly Love. Yes, shout out. She can win. I was going to say, see, that's the mission at work, ladies and gentlemen. That, that is the she can win mission <laughs> no, at she work. Is. She's see our what, wildest dream. See what happens when, you know, you, you give black women the mantle that they need to leap. And she's been... She's been, I, I've worked with her since uh, I partnered with uh, Councilwoman Blonda Reynolds Brown on some nice. projects the last several years. So, uh, Catherine and I have worked closely. So, you know, I was like, well, I wish I lived in Philly so I could I can vote for you because, yeah. like, you've got to take this. You've got to take it. So, shoot, I moved back impressive. so that I could. <laughs> go ahead and vote. <laughs> All right. Also, well, just before we go, yeah. April 28th. Please yes. do not forget to go out and vote. If you are not registered to vote yet, I implore you to research Act 77 to understand the changes that are st at stake when it comes down to voter registration, early voting by mail, and 
you know, as much as possible, engage with our city commissioners. Shout out to Lisa Dealey. Shout out to Omar Sabir. Because this election is serious. We need your votes in the primary. It is an important mission of ours to make sure that we, you know, call call to action with regard to voting on April 28th as much as possible. Please don't forget to vote. Definitely. Also, well, you got to vote like a black woman. That's what you got to You got to vote like a black woman because black right. women vote early and they vote often. I mean, a lot of decisions, a lot of, you know, are, are made on, on the black vote. But also, if you live out in a county and, you know, you might be not as technologically inclined, please make sure that you are attending the new sessions about the new voting systems because mm. they've changed out there. They rolled them out. Um, but anything else you want to leave our listeners with today? Follow She Can Win Now at She Can Win Now. Those are four separate words S H E C A N W I N N O W on Instagram. And Twitter, it's the same, and Facebook, it's the same. Yes, to stay abreast of everything that's happening with She Can Win. We have funny videos. We'll probably be doing an election day wrap up. I believe so. Um, and then for all of our events, both male oriented and otherwise, please join us. Um, and the best way to keep up to date with those is by following us on socials. Absolutely. Thanks, Monique. No, thank you, ladies, for joining me today. I really appreciate your time. Thank Bye. you. Thank you for joining us for another episode of 360 Philanthropy. We wanted to take a moment to recognize the current state of our communities. When this episode was originally recorded several weeks ago, our world and our communities looked a lot different. Due to COVID-19, a lot has changed, including the PA primary. While we implored our listeners to get out to vote on April 28th, as of today, lawmakers have pushed out primary elections to June 2nd. While the date has changed, the urgency and need of your vote has not. Today, more than ever, we need real leadership. Our communities locally and nationally need change. Our nonprofits and small businesses need support. Our essential employees need to be applauded and treated as such, essential. The only way to get the change we need is to focus on our leadership. Make sure you're completing your census. Make sure you're getting out to vote and make sure you're bringing some people with you who need to vote. Encourage those that need to register to do so and get involved in any and every way possible. We hope that 360 Philanthropy has and will continue to give you the insight to get that done. Do you have ideas for future episodes? Want us to focus on topics and solutions to issues that you are currently facing or have faced? Let us know. We are here to support you. Until next time, be the change you want to see, and I hope to see you soon.